Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Bastards Red Sox Hot Stove Edition of the podcast. Uh, Cody Paulson, Micah Storms with me tonight. There's been a couple developments uh, with the free agency market that we will discuss. Could freestyle some other stuff uh, as we're heading into the winter meetings. I think those start, what, Sunday night or Monday? They're definitely next week, uh, one way or the other. And uh, and then uh, in the, the second half, we're going to talk about the four or five biggest threats to sign Yoshinobu Yamamoto aside from the Red Sox. So who are we worried about in other words? So we'll be getting into that. So Micah, how are you? I'm doing well, Terry. Um, It's nice to see some players come off the board a little bit. Wish Boston had one of their own off the board, but uh, it's nice to see some activity and, I don't know if the winter meetings are going to be busy or not because I I think Yamamoto uh, and if Snell doesn't decide to uh, sign, I feel like the market is going to kind of wait on those two guys potentially. Couldn't agree more. Cody, how are you? Doing well. Glad to be back as always. Thank you for having us on. Uh, yeah, Micah, to kind of echo your point, right? You know, there's a couple of big, big pieces, big dominoes to fall and the rest kind of move after that. Right. You know, um, you know, it was a bummer that we didn't get Nola or, you know, there wasn't really more drama to Aaron Nola signing. But, but I think uh, the lack of movement after that really kind of echoes the fact that many didn't expect him to kind of hit the free agent market that uh, that Philly was going to resign him. Terry, how are you doing tonight? I am doing splendid. I am on the road in Virginia Beach. So uh, it's my third show in about a month being recorded from a hotel room. So let's just kind of get right into it. I'll start with Micah. Are you devastated that the Red Sox missed out on Luis Severino for $13 million on a one-year deal with $2 million in incentives? I saw people, some people on Twitter saying that, like, oh, that's a terrible deal. I actually kind of like the deal. I'm not saying I was devastated that the Red Sox didn't sign him because we've talked about how durability for this Red Sox rotation has been a major issue and adding Severino to the the mix would only increase the the questions for durability but for one year 13 million dollars that's a really good flyer because the upside for Severino I mean if he figures it out he could be a front of the rotation arm with the stuff he has um, and if he doesn't figure it out, you could either put him in the bullpen and make him a, an elite late game reliever potentially with his stuff, or it's one year. If you, if you, I mean, Steve Cohen, $13 million to him is like $10 for us. So it, for him, it's a, it's a good gamble. Um, but I, I don't understand why some people were kind of knocking the deal. Um, because again, the, the, the upside he probably has some of the best upside of all, all the pitchers on the market in terms of getting a one-year $13 million deal. You're not going to find that type of value on the market, um, even for a, a low-buy type player. Uh, the only other player that I can really think of that is a low-buy, high-ceiling type player would be Lucas Giolito. Um, but I 
I think Severino has a higher ceiling than Giolito. So I like the deal for the Mets. Um, and as a Red Sox fan, I would like nothing more than to see uh, the Mets rub it in the Yankees' faces, the fact that they were able to fix Severino. Cody, thoughts on the deal? Yeah, I mean, Severino was a guy that just shoved it down our throats every time he faced us for that couple of year stretch that he had. Um, you know, he obviously had some injuries with the shoulder, with the elbow. Um, you know, he was a shell of himself last year. But, you know, whenever he was on the bump, whenever he was tabbed to go against us, you never knew what he could have, right? He could find lightning in a bottle. And, you know, to what Micah said, high end, you know, top of the rotation kind of stuff. And and for 13 years, or sorry, 13 million for one year, that's, I mean, chump change for starting pitching at this point, right? You know, we paid Corey Kluber $10 million last year, uh, you know, for headaches essentially. And so for an extra $3 million to potentially get, you know, Severino when he's right, I'd be all in for that. I know this fan base is over the reclamation projects. I know this fan base is over trying to fix people. Um, But, you know, Dave Bush is no longer here. We got Andrew Bailey in the mix. So, you know, this kind of seemed like uh, an ideal landing spot or an ideal target for for the Red Sox, who have not been uh, necessarily willing to go out and spend big money on on the free agent market so far. You know, they've been uh, checking in a lot of the free agents, kind of know what um, the market is, and they're looking more towards a trade market. This is a, a low risk signing, in my opinion. Um, you know, it seems like good starting pitching is kind of going for this price point at this at this point in time. So for for one year, you know see what you got but i think it's a great signing by new york i think you know um to to get a crosstown rival to potentially fix them to to have them have a great season is only going to make the salt in the wound a little bit saltier but uh, i think it was a good signing by new york you know time will tell right because we've all seen what severino can do it's just can he do it again uh you know and for the sake of him and for the sake of baseball you'd like to see it right the game is better when all the stars are playing to, to the best of their abilities. You know, an added bonus, he's no longer in the AL East, so we don't have to worry about him until, you know, we get to October, which definitely doesn't hurt. Um, but we'll see. You know, hopefully hopefully he finds it for himself, uh, you know, for the Mets, and best of luck to him. I, I mean, it's not... Uh, going to be a contract of consequence one year 13 million it's either going to work out great or it's not so there's that aspect of it I don't really think he's a good fit for the Mets though I mean the ace of the Mets rotation is Kodai Singa who is coming off of a pretty decent rookie year uh, in MLB he pitched for several years in Japan uh, and then they got Jose Quintana, who has sort of rebounded. Actually, he did have a very good uh, 2023. He's their number two. And then I think you're just kind of hoping for the best with Severino at number three. I would kind of like him better in like a Atlanta Braves rotation where you got several guys in front of him. Not a ton of pressure there. Um, I just I just don't know if the Mets is really – um, a, a really good spot for him. And what's interesting is you go back to 2018, he and Chris Sale were neck and neck for the Cy Young through July. And then they both kind of, you know, they not necessarily fell apart, but, you know, they, they were kind of gassed 
by you know mid-August, and I can't remember if it was Blake Snell that leapfrogged both of them or if it was Corey Kluber. It was one of the two ended up winning the American League Cy Young instead of them. And ever since 2018, it's just it's been a massive uh, struggle for Severino. He's barely pitched over uh, 100 innings. I think he was right around 102, 103 innings the last couple of years. Like Chris Sale also had uh, Tommy John surgery as well uh, since 2018. And and like Chris Sale as well, struggles to get, you know, either to or past the fifth inning. That pitch count gets really high. So if I'm a Mets fan, I'm just, like I said, hoping for the best and maybe maybe a slight change of scenery. I mean, it's still skyscrapers all around him, you know, because he's staying right in New York. Probably doesn't need to sell his house. But... I think it's kind of telling that the Yankees were were done with him because the Yankees kind of need a guy of what he's capable of. But I just think I think they were done with him. And if lastly, if the Red Sox signed him, I I would have I would have hated that signing. <laughs> I you know because it's. It's Nathan Avaldi, it's Michael Waka, it's Garrett Richards. You're just not getting a full season, and we desperately need full seasons from our starting pitching. So we were never linked to him, so I never really thought it would be a possibility. But the Mets kind of, uh, you know, it's they've been a dumpster fire for a while, except for 2022. Go ahead, Cody. So, you know, just to clarify here, you would not have been a fan of it, even if it was at the one for 13, because I know you you referenced the the Walker signing and the Evaldi signing, which if we look back on those, those ended up, you know, working out pretty well for us. Um, I, I think one for 13, even if it had been with the Red Sox, would not have would not have killed us, to say the least. I do agree that, you know, if you were able to staple him towards the back end of a rotation, be a lot better. You know, you don't necessarily need to rely on him you know, to kind of be, be the front end guy, which, you know, this, this rotation is lacking those front end horses. I just wanted to, to know one for 13, would you be out? Yeah, definitely out. I mean, if you go back to 2022 with the Red Sox, I mean, Evoldi missed a significant amount of time with a hip uh, problem. And then when he came back, his velocity was way, way down and major red flags for me. It's a big reason why I didn't want to sign him. He did kind of bounce back, uh, with Texas, at least in the first half, and then fell apart in the second half, and then flipped the switch like a few other pitchers seem to do, Aaron Nola and uh, a couple other guys uh, in the postseason. That young kid with the Diamondbacks was phenomenal. He was on a short leash, it felt like. F- Brandon Fought, I think his name was, but uh, he didn't have a great season. But And then uh, same season, Michael Walker. I forget what his injury was. Uh, I think it was arm or shoulder related, but he missed about six weeks worth of time. And that killed us. I mean, if you would have gotten, you know, a healthy Michael Walker and a healthy Nathan Avoldi, you probably make the playoffs and you probably make a significant move at the deadline in 2022. But because they were on their normal injury prone trajectories, it just didn't work out. And I, I think, it's more of the same with Severino. 
Go ahead, Micah. And I think Severino is just a, a, a different case than Waka and even Eovaldi because like when they're healthy, you pretty much know what you're getting from those guys. But you can't forget that Severino had a 6.65 ERA last year. So not only are you looking at trying to find a way to keep him healthy, but there is some type of major adjustment you're probably making or trying to make with Severino. And I do believe the Red Sox having Andrew Bailey now as their pitching coach, that's a positive, but we still have to kind of wait and see how they are able to turn pitchers around. And there's no doubt Severino needs some type of help to figure something out in the big league level. Um, maybe it's a, as simple as getting out of Yankee stadium. Um, I'm sure that will help him, but I don't know if going to Fenway Park is just the answer. I don't know if that would have fixed it. I think there is some mechanical issues that he would have to work through. Um, so I, I don't consider them on the same him on the same level as uh, a Waka or uh, um, an Eovaldi because, again, you know what you're getting with those guys, and that's so important to at least get quality production when they're healthy and on the field. A couple of other good teams that come to mind for a guy like Severino, uh, the Houston Astros have had a good pitching program for quite a while. They could probably fix a guy that needs to be fixed. And then y you would think maybe the Diamondbacks as well. I mean, they, excuse me, have the Astros uh, old pitching coach, Brent Strom. I just feel like there, there were better fits out there, but, but we'll see. Uh, another guy um, linked to the Mets. I forget which uh, reporter um, did that, but um, Eduardo Rodriguez uh, possibility. There's a landing spot there. And according to John Morosi, who works with MLB Network, I consider him to be uh, pretty credible, uh, says not to rule out the Boston Red Sox on Eduardo Rodriguez. So... Micah, thoughts on him? I am on the fence with Eduardo Rodriguez. I, I really supported him when he was uh, with the team. I'm just not sure the deal. Like, he signed, I think it was 5 and 85, I think, with the Tigers two years ago. I would have been fine at that time giving Eduardo Rodriguez a deal like that. But if he's looking for a five- or six-year deal now, I just don't know if I would be comfortable doing that with some of the health issues he's had in the past. Um, I, I don't know because he's had an elbow issue last year. He's had knee problems with the Red Sox. I just don't know if I'd want to see the Red Sox commit to him in his low to mid thirties. I'm just not sure I'm comfortable with that. Um, I'm not saying I, I, I would like a certain deal, but not, not, and not every deal I would be in favor of, of Rodriguez coming back. Cody, thoughts? I think you and I had covered this uh, the other night when we, you know, kind of did a general rundown. Um, I would need a public statement from Alex Cora, you know, kind of burying the hatchet or saying it's water on the bridge if we were going to bring Eduardo Rodriguez back. Um, you know, the the talent and the ability that he has, I think, would be, you know, much appreciated in Boston. He's clearly a, a player that can pitch in this market, has front-line starter uh, stuff, you know, can do it in the postseason, can do it on a moment's notice. You know, he kind of took whatever role was was required of him in that 2018 season. 
And so, you know, he, he's a player that you want in the rotation, you want in the staff. You know, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of static between health and, and some off the field. Um, we'll just call it items. But, you know, to, to what Micah said, right, it really comes down to what does that deal look like, right? I think he's still got like three and 50 plus left on the deal with the Tigers, which he opted out of. And, you know, giving him a long-term deal in his early 30s is is something that this front office uh, and ownership has shown, you know, aversion to in past, right? They, they kind of made a stance that said, hey, we're not going to give long-term deals to pitchers over 30 slash, you know, if we can avoid it at all costs, we will, a la John Lester. And so, you know, would you like a pitcher – with the abilities and the stuff of, of Rodriguez, yes, but I think there's too much baggage. There's too much uh, scar tissue. So I don't, I don't see him being a good fit, both contract and uh, past history stuff. I've given tons of takes on Rodriguez in recent shows. Uh, let me put it this way, because it's, it's at least a little bit different. Would I prefer Eduardo Rodriguez and all the baggage that's going to come with him over a guy like Marcus Stroman. Yeah, I, I would. I just, I don't think Stroman and Boston, I, I think that's like fire and gasoline. Um, would I prefer a four year deal for Rodriguez over seven for Blake Snell? Yes, I would. I would probably take Rodriguez, uh, you know, in that case as well. Um, but I, I mean, there's, there's not many other guys I, I wouldn't really want to mess with. I mean, I, I definitely prefer Montgomery over him. Maybe even that other Japanese pitcher, Imanaga, I forget his last name, but I, I may even consider taking a chance on him. You know, if he fails as a starter, you might salvage him as, as a reliever. But I'm just not a Rodriguez guy, and I think it's a it's a massive failure on the Red Sox if we put ourselves into a position where suddenly we're starting to value him because so many of those other names came off the board. So that's kind of where I'm at on him. And it would just be fitting if the Mets get him as well. You get Severino, you get Rodriguez. I mean, there's just so much potential for Steve Cohen to just – explode because <laughs> you know it's it's a stereotypical Mets roster that looks good on paper that's out of it by the middle of May you know each year so uh, not much to go over on Montgomery it looks like he'll be a winter meeting signing or later maybe waiting out uh, Yamamoto uh, Blake Snell as well, his market not too hot. He is on record saying, though, that he wouldn't mind going to pitch for Seattle. That's his hometown team and pitcher-friendly park, as, as many of those uh, you know West Coast teams are. And uh, would be an interesting move. They paid Robbie Ray a lot of money, who's out with Tommy John right now, so... I don't know if the relatively small market budget that they have could could um, accommodate a guy like Snell, but I'd rather him go there than the Red Sox. Micah? I don't understand Snell 
linked to Seattle because you said they have Robbie Ray. Now he's obviously recovering from Tommy John surgery, but they have so many young pitchers and it's a, it's a pitcher friendly ballpark. So you can go out and sign a Wade Miley if you're Seattle and probably get good production because it's a big ballpark. He should be able to find success. The problem with Seattle last year was the inconsistent offense. And if I'm them, Cody Bellinger would be a name I'd be very interested in because in that they their outfield, the, the right field is kind of a short porch. That'd be perfect for him. And I just I feel like they should try to improve the offense rather than pay I feel like Snell's gonna break Nola's number. So I feel like you're gonna need 180 to 200 million. I just don't see how that would be wise for Seattle to put as much money as they are into Julio Rodriguez and Blake, uh, Blake Snell and also Robbie Ray, because I think he has three or four more years left on his deal. I, I just don't know why they would put that much money into those three guys when the pitching is clearly not the issue. You're right. It, it doesn't make sense. And I, I was watching MLB Network uh, for quite a bit yesterday afternoon, and two different shows were like, basically destroying Blake Snell and like raising all the red flags and one notable conversation it was on MLB now which is hosted by Brian Kenny and he had Joe Madden on who's really fascinating in an interview by the way if you are, if you get the chance he's very insightful um, but Brian Kenny was comparing Snell and Nola and they said he was trying to make the case for Snell by saying well he's pitched you know 400 less innings than Aaron Nola. So theoretically should be a fresher arm. And then Madden comes running in. He says, well, wait a minute though. Uh, Blake Snell is prone to high pitch counts. He struggles to get past the fifth inning. So I think when you factor all that in, how big is that 400 inning gap? You know, when, uh, when all things are considered, I mean, Nola obviously probably still a little bit more taxed, but but that innings count, it was a, a bit deceptively low. So it was just weird to see a, a neutral network kind of poo-pooing a, a player in free agency. You know, probably the second most prominent name left at this point. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, Nick Martinez, I wasn't really too familiar with him. Uh, spent the last couple seasons with the Padres. He goes to the Reds on a two-year, $26 million deal. So if uh, if that was going to be a sneaky under-the-radar option for Breslow, I, I don't think I would have been thrilled with it, but but it is no longer an option. Micah, any thoughts on him? I think Martinez is probably a 100, and, 100 to 120 inning type pitcher. I don't see him as a every day, every fifth day starter. Um, he's had success in San Diego, but it's a bigger ballpark. I, I don't know how he would translate into the American League East and such a, some of those tinier um, ballparks. So, not a pitcher I wanted the Red Sox to target. Um, he's a good depth piece to have for sure. Um, he be someone, you know, if there's an injury, you can easily slot into the rotation and feel co confident that he can give you some innings. But I, I don't think he was ever really an option. Um, another pitcher who is similar to him is Seth Lugo. I would be more interested in the Red Sox signing Seth Lugo than Nick Martinez, but I think they're very similar. 
Um, so I think it's an interesting deal for the Reds. It's the type of pitcher they have to kind of go after because they don't have the money or their owner won't spend. So uh, I think it's a good get for them, but um, not for the Sox. Yeah, I mean, Martinez was uh, a great pitcher for the Padres, you know, kind of gave them that flexibility to move him from the starting rotation to the bullpen to long relief to kind of whatever they needed. And, you know, to have the Swiss Army knives are good, you know, right? You, you got to get the outs, you got to get the innings covered one way or the other. But, you know, this is a Red Sox bullpen, for lack of better terms, that was a strength for us last season, right? All of the roles were defined. Everybody kind of knew what they were supposed to do, what their job was, what their responsibilities were. And that allowed them to to perform at a level that we hadn't seen for the past couple of years. And, you know, we do have a lot of money already allotted to uh, the back end of the bullpen between Jansen, between Martin and, you know, Hauk and Whitlock, depending upon, you know, <laughs> what version of them that we're going to be getting. So, you know, I didn't necessarily see it as a need for the Red Sox. Um, you know, never hurts to get good talent in the room. But, you know, I'm happy for him to get to get a good deal to to go to Cincinnati as well. Um, you know, it's, it's good to see these small market teams spend money to get players to remain competitive, right? You know, we lament teams like the Royals and the A's and the White Sox for, for not, you know, retaining good talent and you know the white Sox have done a great job um drafting and developing but you know giving ben Attendee, what was it 570 was the largest contact contract that they had uh handed out in in franchise history that's crazy right i mean 70 million dollars is, is chump change in the mlb at this point in time so you know to see small market teams like the reds go out be aggressive and free agency sign players at the beginning uh of the offseason um you know is is a good sign for for the league All right, so the last uh, player of note, uh, his market hasn't seemed to heat up anymore since the last episode, but Dylan Cease uh, still out there. Uh, the Braves and the Dodgers theoretically in on him. Uh, a couple other teams could also swoop in as well, but uh, those two teams have kind of missed out on on uh, a couple of the other notable free agent pitchers, so... Uh, it doesn't seem like the Red Sox are engaged, though, based on just some rumblings out there. So, uh, to me, that's a good thing. I, I'd rather not, uh, you know, maybe if a couple, if Montgomery comes off, maybe I warm up to it a little bit. But it would just kill me to give up prospects uh, when we could just spend a little bit of money. Yeah, I mean, you know, the reports coming out of the midseason trade deadline was it started at Bayo, right? Which is, to me, um, you know, subtraction by subtraction, right? Like you're you're giving what could be, you know, a top one or two, maybe three uh, spot in the rotation pitcher for a one, two or three spot kind of pitcher plus prospects, right? Like we're, we're giving away... MLB ready talent for MLB ready talent. And then we have to give additional prospects on top of that. Um, not to mention, you know, uh, Bayo's cost controlled rookie deal. We have the, uh, you know, the option to, to extend them. And so for, for the Red Sox to go and get cease at that price point just doesn't make sense. I think, you know, we're going to see a team make that deal if he does get traded and, and have it be a gross overpay. 
you know, I understand that the prospect game is finicky and, you know, you never know what you have. Um, what is it like a bird in the hands better than a bird in a bush or whatever that saying is. Um, but you watched getting it. rid of, Oh, <laughs> did I? Great. Awesome. Um, you know, but essentially, right. Like, you know what you have in Bayo, you know what you have in cease to give Bayo plus additional prospects. seems like a major loss for the Red Sox. And so for me, stay far away. Don't want it with a 10 foot pole. Best of luck to cease to wherever he ends up going, but not for me. Someone told me uh, on a Facebook group, they said, we still haven't gotten rid of the last thing we got from Chicago, meaning Chris Sale. And I was like, yeah, ew. Well, Boston did sign up, though, for additional years of that because they didn't have to do that. They Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you said, Cody, that you know what you're getting with Cease, but I, I kind of wondered do we know what we're going to get with Cease? Because if you look at his numbers, he's had one year where he has had an ERA under 391. And that was his 2022 campaign. And he was outstanding that year. You know, I think he finished in the top five of the Cy Young. So he has that potential, but he also has the potential to give up a lot of hard contact for a guy who can miss as many bats as he can. And I just... For to to give up what the White Sox are probably asking, especially if Brian Bayo is, you know, it starts with the conversation starts with Brian Bayo. I just think that's crazy to commit to that when, I, to me, Bayo's ceiling, he has a high ceiling still. He hasn't reached his ceiling, and Cease has been so inconsistent. I just I don't understand why that would ever be considered. A thing I think I think Cease is very overrated. I think people fall in love with the strikeout number. Um, do I think he has the ability to be a consistent front of the rotation arm? I do, but we haven't seen it. And to to really give up a ton of either MLB ready prospects or um, just MLB current players, I, I would not do for him. But I think a, a team that is going to come in and trade for him i think is going to be the baltimore orioles i think they are going to be the ones who who acquire dylan cease they have been they've gone on record stating that they are not going to um be in the big fish free agent market they should be but they're not going to be their owners won't spend which is ridiculous but i think they're going to acquire a front of the rotation type arm and i think they're going to do it because they have so many prospects that eventually will have no spots play at the in the big league on the big league roster i think the orioles are going to win the dylan cease sweepstakes they have one of the better farm systems to get it done so it certainly makes sense and i don't know that that pitching program there in chicago is really that great i mean joe kelly um Lance Lynn went to the dodgers that that is a great program i mean look what they did with ryan brazier even but I think a change of scenery could could benefit a guy like Cease. So uh, let's go ahead and move on to this uh, last part of the show. What are the five biggest threats uh, aside from the Red Sox? Who are we afraid of in the Yamamoto sweepstakes? I actually only have four teams. I'm struggling with the fifth. But um, let's start with you, Micah. Who's one that you you view as uh, who's the biggest threat to you? 
I think it's the Dodgers if they do not come away with Shohei Otani. I think if they acquire Otani, I think you can kind of rule the Dodgers out. At least I would initially. Um, but if they don't acquire him, I think they're going to be very motivated to spend and improve that pitching. If you look at their current rotation, it doesn't look like a Dodgers team that we've seen in the past. And I think if they were to then add a Yamamoto, then it changes the game. So I, I would say they're probably number one because they also did not spend much at all last offseason. So they, they've it's been reported that they – kind of were waiting for Otani to come around. But I think the Tommy John injury, maybe that changes some things for them. But it, I think they could really probably outbid just about anyone other maybe than Steve Cohen. Um, he might be willing to just throw any money possible at him. But I, I think the Dodgers are going to be very motivated to add to the rotation. Um, and And – you know they're invested because they have Mookie Betts, they have Freddie Freeman, so they're in win-now mode. And with their current rotation, in my opinion, the only piece that they can really add that guarantees that they're going to be in win-now mode continued would be uh, Yamamoto. Cody, thoughts on the Dodgers? I mean, it's hard not uh, to pick against the Dodgers, right? I mean, they've showed a propensity in years past to spend money. They've taken big big contracts from the Red Sox uh, in trades in years past. Um, you know, they've only won one championship, and some people don't even, you know, acknowledge it as a, as a real championship. So, you know, they, they are hungry. They need to kind of refill the, the barn, right? Kershaw, you know, magical season last year. We thought he was kind of falling off and, and you know, kind of rekindled his mechanics, rekindled his approach. But, you know, what are you going to get in Walker Bueller? Dustin May can't stay healthy. You know, um, they do need another, you know, kind of guy to hang their hat on to, to lead that rotation. So if he does end up with the Dodgers, West Coast team, you know, we say this all the time whenever you see a Japanese baseball star come across – uh, you know, they they have affinity for those West Coast teams. So I, I would not be surprised to, to see him end up in Los Angeles. Um, and obviously I'd be bummed. But uh, that's not the team that I'm the most worried about. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. I'm going to agree with that very last sentence uh, you said. I do have the Dodgers in my top five. Don't get me wrong. I just don't view them as quite the biggest threat. I think they covet Otani more than anything. They they want the flashiness. They want the marketability, you know, to complement some of the superstars they already have. And their pitching program is so good. I think the Dodgers think, well, we'll figure it out with a certain crew of guys. And who, who's to say they don't end up with Jordan Montgomery, you know, as, as the backup plan or whatever. But I think they really do covet uh, Otani. Now, if we're wrong and they pivot, I mean, their their rotation is not good. I mean, this is their depth chart, according to ESPN. Bobby Miller is listed as their ace. Walker Bueller, I still don't know what his status is. I keep forgetting to check. He will pitch this year. I just don't know if it'll be right away. Uh, Ryan Pepio, Emmett Sheehan, and then Gavin Stone rounds out there five. So that's a rotation that's in desperate need of some arms. And that's perhaps why they're probably in the Dylan C sweepstakes. And if any team's going to turn him into an ace, it's probably them. Um, so 
again, there you can't take them out of the top five. Another thing too, some some people are wondering, can the Dodgers get both? Well, yeah, they can, but it's going to cost about eight hundred million. I'm not not exaggerating. That's about what the projections are for those two players. So just short of a billion for two players, for two humans. <laughs> that's just that's just a crazy number. Um, you know, for all the kids, you know, if, if kids are in their car because their dads are listening to us and you're seven years old, I'm wondering if by the time you, you kids are like 60 or 70, are we, are we approaching a trillion? <laughs> you know, like, I just, I don't know. Like, is that what an MLB roster will cost? you know, decades from now. But the fact that two players can cost $1 billion. I mean, that's like a fighter jet. That's like a, like it's a bunch of fighter jets probably. <laughs> like I'm just trying to put it, put that crazy number into perspective. But uh, Cody, let's, let's go with you. Who, who, in your opinion is the biggest threat? For me, um, I'm just going to take a, a quick drive up the coast. I, I don't like the San Francisco Giants uh, and the Yamamoto sweepstakes. I think they are dangerous. I think they are hungry. They are third place in an arms race in the NL West. They've thrown bags around uh, in off seasons previous and come up empty. So you know they are star craved for talent as well as front end uh, pitching. They seem extra dangerous. And, you know, you sprinkle on top of that that they're a West Coast team, Japan, you know, Japan, the whole nine. Everybody's rehashed that. Nobody's breaking news with with West Coast and, and Japanese um, affiliation. But the Giants, to me, are, are extra scary because, you know, while they might be that scrappy team that just kind of hangs around in the West, makes a run, gets a wild card, makes some noise, um, I don't think they enjoy kind of being in that position, trying to catch lightning in a bottle year after year after year. I think they want to have the arms, the guns to be able to compete, uh, you know, go toe to toe like it was at the beginning of the 2010s when they were in the World Series every other year. And so, you know, as a as a team that has a budget that it's able to throw three hundred million dollar contracts around, um, they're they're really scary to me to drive up the bargaining price to to steal Yamamoto away from the Red Sox. I agree with you. Um, let me just go through the depth chart right now for the San Francisco Giants. They have Logan Webb, who's their ace. I don't know if he's like, you know, a perennial Cy Young threat, but he's a very good uh, starting pitcher. Uh, then they have Alex Cobb, who's been a journeyman, hasn't really established himself as a top of the rotation guy. He's listed as their number two. Some kid named Kyle Harrison is listed third. Anthony, Anthony DeScalfani is fourth. Ross Stripling is fifth. So that's a rotation starving for, um, you know, upper level pitching. And like Cody was saying, I put out a tweet yesterday. The Giants threw the bag at Carlos Correa. $351 million before he failed the physical. That's it. That's an insane number to me even before the physical, like, oh my goodness, they almost gave that to Carlos Correa. They offered Aaron Judge 10 million more than that. The Yankees matched it. Um, they offered Arson Judge, Arson Judge. What? What's with that? I keep seeing that. People keep correcting me. <laughs> so uh, John Heyman, it was his actual Twitter account. He had gone on the record on Twitter 
and said that the San Francisco Giants have signed Arson Judge, and it was a typo. And he jumped the gun because the Giants didn't even assign him, but he put Arson Judge, and now like nobody lets him live that down. Well, he did kind of burn Cashman down at the uh, with some comments at the uh, GM meeting, so maybe maybe it's a more fitting name than we think. But um, and this is almost ancient history now. But the Giants gave John Lester the top offer he re- that he was given that winter, one hundred and seventy-five million. He took a hundred and fifty-five uh, from the Cubs, so that's pretty significant. I feel like um, he said he was willing to take a discount. That just shows you how pathetic the Red Sox were. <laughs> You know, the discount they expected. He still took one, but it was from Chicago. But the the Giants are motivated. Uh, their GM is extremely desperate. His his job's on the line. So sometimes these guys make bold decisions, sometimes not the best ones in, in these uh, spots. But I, I also view the, the Giants as the biggest threat. And it's a very pitcher-friendly park. People bagged on me. I mean, it does have it is a pretty decent weather park, you know, not too cold, not not too hot in the summer, you know, for an outdoor park. Um, So that's uh, I I couldn't agree more. Did you have something more to add, though, uh, Micah? About the Giants? I was going to say that uh, Kyle Harrison, he was um, at the midpoint um, part of the season. He was the top pitching prospect in the minor leagues. Um, so he's supposed to be really, really good. And I think if you were to, if they were to get Yamamoto, I think they'd have a pretty good staff because Di Selfani as a number four would be really, really solid. Um, or even a number five like that. They'd have a good rotation if they get him. Um, Terry, were you going to talk about the Mets though at all? Or were we going to bring them up? Um, I kind of, I don't have them in my top five, but we can get to them. And and my reasoning with that is look at the guys they're after right now. They're not operating at the top of the market on, on any level. That's not to say they don't still go after him, but, but Cohen did make some comments that they might, this might not be the winter that they go nuts because they got some housekeeping to do and you got, you got a new guy like Stearns in there. So but you, you can never rule out Steve Cohen one way or the other. Yeah, because I, I view the Mets more of like a two-year project. I think they probably aren't really in compete now mode. But I think if you sign Yamamoto, I don't think you necessarily have to be in win now mode because he's only 25. And if you sign him to a nine-year deal, if you're in win now mode next year, like you, he's in year two of the deal, you're in good shape. So I, I think the Mets, I, they probably – are the in terms of money, they're probably the the biggest competitor to the Red Sox because I, I truly think if Cohen wants a player, no one is going to outbid him. I think he will win every single bid because he just doesn't care. Um, we we really haven't seen anything like what he's done in his short time with the Mets. Um, what he did with Verlander and having Scherzer last year and then just trading them for prospects essentially. Like he's willing to shed fifty million dollars he doesn't care if he eats it um so i don't think he really cares if he has to you know pay a crazy posting fee or go 30 or 40 50 million dollars above the highest bid i think he would do it because it gives him a chance to to win and i think for him money doesn't like he he views 
baseball as like a hobby, whereas a lot of these other owners view it as like a, a, a they're trying to make money. And you just I, I really think he out of all the teams probably is the scariest. I think in terms of would Yamamoto want to go there though, because it's been a circus for the last couple of years. I don't know. I don't know if he wants to go to New York. I don't know if he wants to, if he views them as a team that's ready to win. That's why I think the Dodgers is probably the, in my opinion, they're the the, the best case scenario because they're in win now mode. They have a great program. They're on the West Coast and they have the money. But the the money factor for the Mets is very very real. Well, don't rule out the Giants though. In that case, I mean, the only two players that are probably making north of ten million, one of them's got to be Michael Conforto. Uh, the other one might be, and I, I don't know if he even is, Mike Yastrzemski, um, but that's it. I mean, they're probably sitting at around 40 or 50 million tops, so there's plenty of money to be spent there. But who was the last big-time player to go sign with the Giants? Like, do you think, don't you think it's a little concerning the fact that, you know, you brought up John Lester. He wasn't willing to go there to take the most money. And, you know, they all, Aaron Judge, they, they, the, the report was they offered more than the Yankees. And I don't think Aaron Judge was ever really going to leave the Yankees because he has, you know, the, the, the ability to build a legacy in New York. I mean, that's better than the Yankees or than the Giants. But, you know, they couldn't get Aaron Judge to go there and they couldn't get, they didn't want to go through with the Correa deal. Like, I just think it's interesting that, Big time free agents haven't gone there over the last couple of years. I mean, I really can't think of one, you know, north of a hundred million dollars that they've been able to say, yeah, you're going to come play for us. I can't think of anybody. That's all their run, you know, back in the early like 2010 period, it was homegrown players for the most part. That's been their calling card. It hasn't been going into the free agent market and and signing and then throwing crazy money out there. They haven't been able to do it. They have the money because they're really not a small market, but they also don't operate in the free agent market like the other teams do. To your point, right? You know, they've done it all with homegrown talent. I don't know how often have we even heard that, hey, the Giants were in the mix, right? You know, for the longest time, the Red Sox were the interest kings. The Red Sox have shown interest in this player or, you know, have had meetings with this player. And, you know, I think this year's iteration of that is checked in on, which, you know, whatever. Um, it was really only last offseason that we even heard the Giants be in the mix for these big fish free agents, right? We've never heard them come runner up or, you know, it came down to the Giants and the Braves, the Giants and the Dodgers or the Giants and the Mets or, you know, Giants and some other American league team. Um, so that's a really interesting point that you bring up that, you know, they haven't really entered their free agency game and we've only really seen them insert themselves into those conversations in the past couple of years. So I'd be interested to see how it does moving forward, because if I'm looking at it as a free agent point, you know, they've got a lot of talent on that roster that comes from within, you know, they have a, an ability to develop. They have an ability to, to build, to draft well. It's a well-run organization. We don't look at them as a clown show. So, like, for me, that's – all of these things are, you know, advantageous reasons to sign with San Francisco, plus they're willing to throw money at me. Like, you know, I don't know why they don't do better in in the offseason and in the free agency competitions, but it is an interesting point that, you know, you are absolutely correct, right? We can't think of, uh, you know, the times that they've done well. I You know, 
Evan Longoria. Did Chris Bryant play there for a while at all, or did he just go straight to Colorado? Straight to Colorado. I, I think oh, you're okay, thinking sorry. of Longoria. Yep. Right. But, but I, mean, I, I think that... they were linked. I think they were linked to Bryant, you know, and they didn't win out on that uh, in those sweepstakes either. And it's like, you know, I, I'm, I think Bryant is from originally the West Coast, I think. And it's like, how did they not win? Like, why, how, why are they not winning on any of these? It you know, makes they, no they sense. have the money and it's a desirable location. It's an it's a organization that's had success. And, you know, I, maybe their general manager just isn't very good in negotiations. I, something is going on there in, in, in this regard. And I didn't mean to cut you off, Cody, but it, it's no, just, no. It, it's interesting. Did Brian get traded to San Francisco? No, he never went. I think straight from the Dodgers to, uh, uh, excuse me, straight from the Cubs to um, Colorado. Okay. Yeah, I, I could be wrong. I'm fairly certain that's how it worked out, though. Um, and that's all it is with the Giants. They just can't attract them. They've tried. There, there's been no lack of effort, but they just can't convince them. I think they can convince a Japanese player uh, a little easier than, you know, someone who's grown up here in the States. One thing that definitely is a factor, um, the income tax in California, you know, you're, you're paying a lot more money to, to play in that state. Jake DeGrom last winter came out and said, I'm only interested in the Astros and the Rangers. Because there's no income tax in the state of Texas. Zach Eflin was offered the same money in Boston, chose Florida in part because he's from near Tampa, but also Florida, no income tax. So the $45 million contract he signed is going to go further in Florida than Massachusetts. So I, you know, and. Yeah, I mean California is a, a tough state right now for a lot of reasons, but but I, I still wouldn't rule them out on um, on Yamamoto. Do you guys have the Cubs in your top five? Because I uh, no, really. What about you, Micah? I think the Cubs are definitely in there. We just we haven't really seen the Cubs be willing to go like into those mega deals, those 200 plus million dollar deals. They've, they gave John Lester 157 or whatever that deal was. They gave Hayward, I think it was like 180 something maybe. I don't think it crossed 200, but we haven't really seen them be willing to go that high. Um, they, again, they can do it. They're a big market team, so I, there's no reason they can't. Um, they also have um, Seiya Suzuki, so they have a, a Japanese player that has played with uh, Yamamoto before, so that could be a, a selling point as well. So I think the Cubs are definitely in there. I would say they're probably number five or you know on the lower end of that deal or of that list. Um, one thing I would like to point out, Terry, um, I, I was with you. I, I did not realize Chris Bryant did get traded to San Francisco. He did. He did. Oh. He did. He did get traded. Um, at the trade deadline and he played in the final two months and the giants weren't able to sell him on San Francisco because he went and he went to Colorado. So um, I think that's also telling like you had him in your own dugout and you couldn't convince him to stay in San Francisco. I think that's telling, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah. I, but in, <laughs> 
maybe maybe San Francisco is really the winner in that situation. I mean, Bryant hasn't stayed healthy, and outside of that MVP year, hasn't done much. I hated his batting stance where he crouches like almost all the way down to the ground, and I'm like, how do you generate power from that crouch stance? I, it just crazy to me. Uh, getting back to the Cubs real quick. Um, you know, they have been linked. I mean, I, I am seeing their name, you know, linked to him and they're, they're a really good fit in terms of what they already have. Justin Steele has kind of emerged as their ace, a uh, bit of a late bloomer. Um, Jamison Tyon's listed as their number two, not really a good year. And it's kind of alarming that they couldn't fix him because they fixed Kyle Hendricks, uh, who had a great year. Uh, Jordan Wicks, Javier Assad, both younger guys. I think they're trying to figure out, you know, if 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 they're uh, especially with Assad, whether or not he's a starter or a reliever. But there's a lot to work with right there, and I, I think if you put a Yamamoto into that rotation instantly, they're the best team in the NL Central. the The Cardinals are, you know, doing some. Uh, you know, adding some pieces as well. So, um, but I, I, I figured they were top five. Uh, who, who else do you guys have? We've listed off three diet giants, Dodgers and Cubs. Who's another one you're thinking Micah or Cody. Yeah, go ahead, Cody. The Padres. No, I you... mean, that team throws money around. It's on the West coast. You know, they wouldn't surprise me as as a team that kind of comes up to to do it. I know that they've had uh, money issues. They've taken out short-term loans to, to pay other individuals. But, you know, this is a team that hasn't been relevant in the NL West for, uh, shoot, our entire lifetime. And, you know, they've kind of stiffed that recently. Much like Chris Paul says he's addicted to playing in the NBA Finals, you know, I think they're addicted to, to competing and being the talk of a town. You know, if it comes up to, to throwing some more money around, I don't see them necessarily skirting uh, the desire to sign Yamamoto. Well, what are you, what are your thoughts, Micah, on the Padres? Uh, the Padres, I mean, it, it was they kind of it was stated that they were looking to almost shed payroll. So for them to take on a two hundred and potentially fifty million dollar contract or more, I just I don't know if I can see them do that, doing that, especially with the their owner tragically dying. Like it just, it's sad that that happened. But I just don't know if they're in the position to really commit any more crazy money um, to for that. I, I don't know if I see the Padres, but you never know. I mean, they, their owner uh, Pre, or their GM Preller, he he operates in a really weird way. So maybe he tries to trade uh, a. Machado or Tatis Jr. And then he goes out and he, I, I don't know. He's a strange GM. Um, but my team is the Yankees. I, I think Cashman is desperate. I could totally see them trying to get in on the, the, the starting pitching, pitching market and combine Yamamoto with Cole. That's probably the best potentially one, two in all of baseball. If Yamamoto is the pitcher that many believe he's going to be. So I think the Yankees are another scary team. Um, I, I think you have to think big markets because, you know, you, you brought up, Cody, how like the White Sox, their biggest contract they've ever given out was $75 million to Ben Intendi. And it's like, well, how many teams are actually, how many teams in the past have actually given out a 
200 plus million dollar contract or a 250 million dollar contract so your list really shrinks when you get up to that level of a contract and i think you just have to kind of stay with the big markets especially if you know a team like the mets with cohen you know if they're going to out really overbid and, and and go really high with their bid I think you have to. There's only a couple of teams that would be willing to go 275, maybe even 300. I think that list is really, really short. So, real quick, just to wrap up the Padres, when the owner dies, you have to question the business plan at that point because it could be totally different, you know, with other people taking control. Um, and they're not going to be in on Soto, big money to Bogarts, big money to Tatis. Um, Manny Machado, massive, massive money from that extension. I just, I don't know that. I, I think that just pushes them into more financial uncertainty. That that was a $40 million loan they had to take out just to pay their bills. So, um, yeah, I think their own, I'm just speculating, but their owner wasn't in great health. And I think he wanted to live to see a, a championship for San Diego, Unfortunately, you know, his time was was real short and it didn't happen. Um, getting back to the Yankees, I do have them in my top five, but I'm highly skeptical. And here's why. There, uh, Juan Soto is going to be a Yankee probably in the next 72 hours, I think. I don't think it's that far. You don't hear of any other teams really in on him. It's a chance for, I think he's going to get around $30 million in, in arbitration. It's going to be one of the biggest arbitration payouts of all time. And I think the Padres are, are motivated to move that. They Their farm system is like a bottom five or six farm. So this will be a chance to to you know reinvigorate that. And you got to believe that the Yankees aren't trading for him for just one year without some serious intentions here to try to extend him, which is going to cost $500 million roughly. He's a Boris guy. He's already turned down 425 That park is tailor-made for him, so there's going to be added motivation there where he's a lefty. And I just feel like, you know, huge money. You, you talk about almost a billion dollars. That's what Soto and Aaron Judge are, you know, combined. And then you still got big money for Stanton for, uh, you know, several more years, big money to Garrett Cole for several more years. And they still have other needs that they need to address. So, and then when you look at the Yankees rotation, it's, it's not terrible. I mean, you got Garrett Cole, you're hoping for a healthy year with Carlos Rodon. I mean, he's got the potential. He's just got to stay healthy. Um, then they've got Nestor Cortez, didn't pitch much last year. Hopefully it'll be a little more healthier this year. They seem to be really high on Michael King. I don't know if I am, but they are. So there's a one through four. That's pretty, pretty good. I mean, you can add a mid-level, you know, pitcher and, and I think they're in good shape without Yamamoto. I mean, they could still throw the bag. We've said before Cashman's desperate. He needs to flip a narrative. So, Perhaps they'll they'll go after him, but man, that would be like you add him. That's like one point two billion with three players, and that's just crazy. But um, go ahead, Cody. 
I mean, they did the lamest thing I think I've ever heard of in sports. They purposely didn't give out the number 18 last year so that they would have it available for Yamamoto this year because apparently that is the ace number in Japan, which like, you know, the Bronx Bombers, the Big Bad Yankees or whatever are now doing things like this is just, you know, uh, I guess a snapshot of just like how far they've fallen under Cashman's regime. Right. You know, I, I absolutely agree. I think the Yankees are a dark horse, um, you know, contender to, to sign Yamamoto just because they are star craving for talent. They haven't, you know, done well. And, you know, they haven't won world series famously since Oh nine. Um, you know, if they were able to, to get Soto and, and Yamamoto in one off season, I think they could hang up the phones and just say, Hey guys, we did it. You know, the rest of the league is on notice. It's it's World Series or bust for the next decade. So uh, who's the number five? We've covered four. I mean, would it be the Rangers? Uh, that's a tough fit for me, I think, with all the money they have. But but who knows? I mean, they've every winter they're making impact moves. I don't see don't we have a limiter anymore sorry Micah. go ahead no i was gonna say don't we have five if we have the giants dodgers yankees cubs and um that's yankee or padres so i i I teach third grade so my (laughs) 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 it's 11 o'clock on a thursday night i i i I digress i'm done i can't do math but cody i didn't mean to I thought we had five. I apologize. No, I mean, you could put the Angels in there because they're erratic, I guess. I mean, I I think Shohei is, you know, would mouth the words to Yamamoto in Japanese, don't do it, you know. (laughs) Look at me the last several years. Uh, So I I just can't really take the Angels seriously. I, I consider the Mets to be somewhat of a dark horse. Rangers are a dark horse. Now, if you want two truly dark horse teams that could sneak in out of nowhere and and do this. I've got the Washington Nationals and the Detroit Tigers. The Nationals are one or two years out, but this could this is a big picture type move. There would have to be a league investigation if Yamamoto ended up on the Detroit Tigers. Like, how how did that happen? I think the rest of the league would just be like, guys, did, did the rest of us, like, forget how to use our phones? Like... I would I'd be very surprised if he ended up in Detroit. Well, I mean, I I would, too, but they've got the payroll flexibility to do it. They've been a big market team in the past. Their previous owner from their last big run, you know, about 10 years ago, Mike Illich has since passed away. His kids are running it. So I don't really know what the philosophy is there, but they've got A.J. Hinch and I truly believe they want to compete. So. I, and when I say dark horse, I'm saying like 5% chance or less, but I wouldn't be as shocked as, as a lot of people if, if he ended up there and the nationals, I mean, who would have thought they would get Max Scherzer, you know, in 2015 and they had 71 wins. And I know that sounds bad, but I think I see that number as progress towards the the rebuild like maybe at least they're at the halfway point and some teams get there a year or two early um they've got one of the best farms and eventually they're going to decide to spend again and their owner i believe is the richest uh, in mlb unless cohen overtook him 
uh, the Lerner family, I should say. Um, so I, I, but if they're not number one, they're number two. Let's put it that way. But that that's it. And any other team? Go ahead, Micah. I was going to say, I, I've never thought about this until you said it, but my mind is wandering at 1120 on a Thursday night. Wouldn't it be wild if the Nationals realized where they were back when they traded Juan Soto and then next offseason they just signed Juan Soto after they got all of those prospects for him? Wouldn't that be wild if that happened? It could be. Um, the only knock against uh, Washington, D.C. is it's just not really a destination city. I think Baltimore uh, struggles with that as well, um, but but the the money is there, so who knows? the The um, Diamondbacks went crazy and, and got Zach Grinky that one year too, a crazy two hundred something million dollar deal, low two hundreds for six years. It was like the highest AAV of any pitcher, but yeah, so. Uh, any final thoughts? No? All right. Well, we will wrap on that. Um, tentatively, we could be back on Sunday, uh, maybe sooner if, if something big develops. But um, I would plan on a Sunday night show for a Monday morning commute. So look forward to that. And I, I expect at least one or two shows in the middle of next week because it's the winter meetings and that's often when the fireworks start. So everyone have a great weekend. Take care.